Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The race is on. The Belgian Grand Prix produced yet another victory for Lewis Hamilton, his fifth of the season out of seven races, to take his tally to an astonishing 89 Formula 1 victories. Once again, Valtteri Bottas couldn't match his teammate, but he was at least second ahead of Max Verstappen, as those three drivers filled the podium for the fifth time. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to review the Spa weekend are Mark Hughes and Scott Mitchell. COVID-19 restrictions still in full force, Mark. You were our man on the ground at Spa this weekend. It looked like a very odd place to be for a Grand Prix without 100,000 fans dining on Fritza Mayo. Odd weekend? Yeah, it was a little bit. The whole place was green um, and it's usually orange, as you know. And um, it normally takes forever to get from one place to another and it's really, really easy. So um, whilst much more convenient than normal, it was much sadder, you know, it was very, very sort of... Um, if, if melancholy place because it, you always associate it with such you know intense activity and then the crowds getting involved and you know the wall to wall sort of um, Verstappen fans usually so yeah just looking out across and the, the other side of the paddock and just seeing beautiful green valleys it, it just didn't seem quite right yeah it, it was Probably the only race where that sort of seemed to show up um, so far massively, shall we say. I know being at Silverstone, it felt quite empty, but yeah, it's just noticeable on TV. Yeah, strange. Uh, but Scott Mitchell, obviously you weren't in the right place for the race, but it does sound like you've had the right weather that we needed at Spa. Yeah, it's been um, it's been on-off pretty pretty rainy and stormy, especially um, especially this evening, but I think it, uh, the... I think it sounds like the rain struck at Spa at the wrong time. <laughs> anyway, it's, yeah, raining it's, been, now. it's been quite heavy, uh, heavy rain on off today. The sort that you like, it doesn't need to be constant if it happens at a, at a circuit because there's enough rainfall in one of those 30-minute bursts to make sure that the track's going to be properly wet for a few hours. Mark, you saying that it's raining now, how many times does this happen at race? This happened after the Spanish Grand Prix. It rained so, uh, like an hour after the race or something. This, this constantly seems to happen. Yeah, no. And that threat of rain, it's because it was forecast, you know, from Friday through Saturday that, yeah, definitely going to rain on Sunday, we're going to have a wet race. That threat actually formed uh, many of the choices that that were made, which formed the the race that we got rather than the race that we might have got. So, yeah, a bit of a shame, really. I mean, I'll I'll go into it in the, the, the race analysis, but that expectation of rain led... Mercedes and Red Bull, or Red Bull in particular, to opt for a, 
a higher downforce, higher of the two rear wings that they had, the higher downforce of the two rear wings that they had. And Mercedes felt secure in following suit. And had they not done that, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that had they both gone for their lower downforce wings, i.e. had they been confident it wasn't going to rain, um, the Red Bull might actually have been a quicker car because the Merc wasn't that that great on its lower downforce wing. Um, so, yeah, we, we might have had a bit of an upset, but as it was, we didn't quite. So there we are. Yeah, it's a sad thing because on Friday, it looked like there was kind of a hint of Red Bull being a little bit stronger relatively than usual. So it, it is a shame that we ended up with well, what all three of the top top three drivers admitted was a relatively boring race for them. You know, it was a one-stopper straightforward. There was no... There was a little bit of intrigue, but no great action in, in that battle between Hamilton, Bottas and, and Verstappen, such as it was. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, I think we, we saw them tiptoeing through the last the last few laps as they desperately trying to make that one stop. The, the tyres hang on. There were, there were sort of little hints of uh, the first Silverstone there. And I think that, that was certainly gone through the minds of um, both both those teams and the late stages, and just the time that they were tiptoeing, of course, we had Daniel Ricciardo doing his um, famous late charge, having looked after the tyres superbly, and in a, in a Renault that was really on form this weekend. So, yeah, again, I think um, it, it it could have been a, diff- a different race. It could have been, I think we were just on the cusp of something much more interesting, but we didn't quite get over it. It was a bit of um, there was a bit of British Grand Prix without the late race punches about um, about this race, wasn't there? Just sort of, uh, but I I, th- I think probably with a little bit more, as Mark says, a bit more of a dynamic, threatening to interfere with the race, but never quite getting there. Especially as Mercedes said, um, I think it was uh, Andrew Shovlin said in post race that they've got some work to do for their low drag package for Monza because it's they, they're worried that. That the Red Bull looks pretty quick in a straight line if it goes for it, and they're not really sure they could they can go with them. So yeah, as Mark says, if they had been pushed, 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 pushed into that properly low drag setup, ah, oh, that would just been that would have just been so much more fascinating than what we actually watched. Yes, yeah, it's, it's frustrating when you have those weekends when it when it could have been. And actually, the point you make about Monza is a valid one because Spa and Monza tend to get lumped together, but well, obviously Monza is the ultimate low downforce track. It doesn't have the the sort of same long middle sector that we've got of, of corners at Spa, so yeah, uh, we can't assume it's going to be exactly the same uh, uh, same next weekend in Monza. But it, it's interesting, isn't it, Mark? Because you know, no, we obviously we don't think any Grand Prix is boring. But when you hear the drivers, obviously in the press conference, they were saying, you know, I think Verstappen said he was basically managing for thirty eight of the forty four laps, so he only had a few laps where he was was pressing on, and they all sort of agreed it was a, a little bit a little bit dull and Lewis Hamilton said look don't don't blame us drivers you know it's the tires it's the difficulty of following etc that, that is a little bit of a shame when you come to this great circuit and you've got Lewis Hamilton Max Verstappen probably the two greatest drivers in Formula One right now saying yeah it was a little bit dull even for us and they're the ones in the car yeah and this is sort of um the continuing of the Lewis being very outspoken about the the tyres, he started it at the end of the Spanish Grand Prix, and um, he spoke some more about it uh, in the lead up to this one. And basically, they're just very frustrated with the the tyres that they have, but at the same time, they're not they're they're very very aware of the constraints that have been put upon Pirelli, and 
Lewis in particular is very keen, not just rubbish Pirelli, because he he's quite cognizant of the the constraints that have led to this situation. <clears throat> but they have in the past the, the drivers have always had these same concerns about about these tires, and they have in the past been um, very tight lipped about it, and because partly for those reasons, and then partly because it wasn't something that. Um, Formula One wanted them to be talking about, but I think Lewis is in a position now where he just feels he can say what he thinks. And thankfully, he's um, deep thinking enough and articulate enough to get across the nuances of the situation. And I think now that he's spoken out, you'll probably see more doing so. And you you heard Max today uh, taking taking up Lewis's point and running with it. Um, Valtteri was very... uh, brief but he, he was totally supportive he just sort of said yeah 100% I agree and that was it but I think yeah we will see more so there's a bit of I think the drivers are taking the lead in putting this pressure on Pirelli to and the FIA to come up with a, a better set of um, targets for Pirelli to meet because it's it, it is quite um, it, it's quite a confusing demand that they what what they're after is a tire that will still degrade, but it will degrade in a way that, that you, you you're able to to continue pushing on it. So um, you don't want it to heat degrade. Basically, you don't want it to just get slow when you push too hard on it. And that's what we have at the moment. We got a tire that tends to once you get it past a certain temperature, be too slow. So you have to drive it below that limit and that threshold um, which is a can be a couple of seconds off the pace and essentially that's what they were having to do today to make a one-stop work um it's not it's not a great way of racing and it, it's something that needs to be tackled um a, 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 with a little bit more thought i think yeah I, I was listening to um the fia's head of single seat to technical matters nicholas tombasis hopefully i've done his job title uh justice there i think that's correct uh, and he was saying that basically Pirelli was, in hindsight, given an impossible set of uh, directives, basically, in in the direction F1 and the FAA originally chose to to go, you know, being asked to, can you you need to create a tyre that that degrades quickly and produces loads of pit stops, but it also needs to be a tyre that drivers can push on and stuff like this. And now actually they're sort of looking and and realising that the direction they've gone in is mistaken because as... um, I think Hamilton said after the, the after the race to today you as soon as you know as soon as you know that losing track position is going to be a killer you do absolutely everything you can to eke out that one stop because why on earth would you want to sacrifice track position and we saw that I think with Verstappen as well um he was I think 17 17 and a half seconds clear of Ricardo in the in the Renault but Red Bull weren't willing to take the risk of pitting him, even though he'd have been on very fresh tyres, and presumably you'd have think would be Ricardo would be a sitting duck, but that combination of track position, the Renault's quick in a straight line, that Red Bull wouldn't take the risk over half a second or a second because the threat of losing track position was so so severe. So this is the state of modern F1, isn't it? And and Hamilton is doing the right thing. And GPDA director Roman Grosjean said he was really pleased that Hamilton came out and. Is given this critic, uh, this criticism or constructive criticism and, and feedback because the drivers need to keep the pressure on because 
all this big, brave, brilliant, beautiful new era that's coming in in 2022 is going to be ruined if the if the tyres aren't up to the task. Well, this is the uh, the kind of unofficial position of the GPDA is to put as much pressure as they can on in terms of the tyres and what the target letter that specifies what parade needs to produce from the tyres uh, will be. And then, of course, there's two things. One, you want to get your target letter right. And two, Pirelli needs to be able to produce tyres that, that with the characteristics that are wanted. So it's it, it, it's a big challenge. But, Mark, this has been going on for a while, hasn't it? So, uh, you know, it, 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 the tyre the sensitivity certainly needs to be got under control. Yeah, it does. It, because it, it, it seeps through every aspect of the racing, as, as Scott was talking about there. And, you know, the, the, that example that he gave with um, Red Bull and Ricciardo, it, it cascades because because Max, because Red Bull didn't want to bring Max in because of the, the, those um, concerns that they had about whether to get back past the Renault. That cascades because if Red Bull had done that, it would have put Mercedes under pressure. But because he didn't, it was stalemate. And... So that we we got we didn't get a, a what could have been a fantastic late dramatic um, shuffling of the pack. So yeah, um, it's I I think it's I think there is enough will and understanding now of the problem that it, it will be tackled, but it 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 might not be an immediate thing. And um, I think the. The realistic target has got to be for 2022 when the new uh, size of tyre comes in. Um, but it, it, in Formula 2, the, you know, that, that, there's a similar um, tyre being run already in Formula 2 for the first time this year. The drivers there are saying it's quite tricky. It's quite a tricky tyre. Um, so I think there's still a lot of work uh, needs to be done before we can safely say, yeah, I think we've, um, we're, on the right, we're going in the right direction. Yeah, and we should say it doesn't detract from what was a fine performance, certainly from Lewis Hamilton, to win really, really good qualifying lap, look properly at one with the car. That was a that was a really a really strong one. Obviously Bottas couldn't couldn't live with it. Um the race from Hamilton, obviously everything was under control. He's a master tire manager as well. He did have that brief off at the chicane, which was uh the the one rare blemish. But yeah, just uh, uh there was not really much more those drivers could have done to made it uh, to have made it exciting. Uh, shall we move on to should, perhaps what what was the surprise package to an extent of uh, of this weekend in Renault? Now, Scott, this was Renault's best weekend since it re-established its works team. That was in 2016, fourth and fifth for Ricardo, and after that late pass on Alex Albon, Esteban Ocon, uh, Ricardo's fastest lap uh, also earned them an extra point, which just edged this ahead of Monza last year where Ricardo and Hulkenberg were fourth and fifth uh, in terms of being the best. So, firstly, this is a team that, that needed a result like this, isn't it? Yes, um, it's a team that is has bigger ambitions than, than it's currently uh, producing in terms of what it's doing on track. Um, and so far this season, it's sort of been... It's sort of been okay and never really been special with the exception of that... With the exception of that really, really good... Uh, was it the British Grand Prix, I think, the first Silverstone race where they had a really nice and large points haul. Maybe it was the first or second Silverstone race, I can't quite remember now. But they've just other other than that, like you saw Barcelona, you know, which is always considered that great all round test of a car. And uh, the Renault was firmly further down the midfield order than it wanted to be um in Spain. Um but they feel like they've unlocked something 
uh, or they've sort of found this weekend because high downforce is just is not their strength. They do seem to have made particularly good gains on uh, traction this season. Uh, I think they've it's almost been a never-ending quest to improve the, the the ride of the Renault, especially over the curbs uh, for the last three or four years. I think, and that just seems to be something that they they maybe they've finally got a handle on. But basically, what Ricardo was saying after after such a strong performance is. You know, maybe there's something in them exploring the low downforce stuff a little bit more because the car does seem to respond really well to it. He was saying it's not just a case of they've come here with a low drag special and just taken all the wing off the car and flown in sectors one and three and dealt with it in sector two. He said the car was was good in sector two. I, I, I looked at his middle sector times in qualifying and they were really competitive when you consider how fast he was in sectors one and, and, and three. So his argument is sort of, well, maybe this sort of low downforce actually brings out the best in this car. So rather than go to other tracks and when you're looking at medium and high downforce settings and just be, you know, behind all the other teams in a straight fight, why don't we lean on this sort of low downforce spec? Because it seems to work for us and maybe we can make it work elsewhere as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. I think Renault, in my opinion, I think Renault are going to be that team in that fight third which is now you know an absolute (laughs) it's a it's a bit of a manic fight for third in the constructors championship but I feel like of all of the teams Renault's the most likely that's going to be like anonymous one weekend and then have like a monster haul the next weekend whereas it feels like McLaren and Racing Point in particular sort of tick over a little bit more consistently inside the top 10 and then Ferrari keep stealing the occasional big result because Charles Leclerc does a madness and actually and puts in a heroic performance. But Renault just sort of Renault just has these sort of peaks and the good thing from their point of view is you were saying that they needed the result like this. They they do at least hit it. When that result is there, they've had two chances I think this season to get a big score and they've got it both times, which is really encouraging. I'm not sure though that that, that sort of approach is going to knack them third in the constructors though because they'll go well at Monza which is a low downforce circuit they've gone well here because it's an aero compromise circuit isn't it you know they were quick in the middle sector but everybody's trying to compromise the the sector one and three straight line speed with the with the twisty bits you know no matter how well you make a lower downforce approach work at at a, at a normal an average circuit should we say you're not going to get the performance out of it so yeah, I'd, I'd worry for them a little bit. What it does show is that they've got to make absolutely sure, as you say, Scott, that they nail these weekends when they have a, a track characteristic uh, advantage, should we say. So they need to do more of the same at uh, Monza, but very, very positive for them, uh, you have to say. But they they need to understand what it, what it is when they're piling on the downforce that isn't working for them, whether they've not got uh, good control over the uh, the whole aero map of the car, etc. But one thing we should say, Daniel Ricciardo's driving really well this year for the most part, isn't he, Mark? You know, that was a really, really strong drive. I can't really see he could have done anything more, especially as he had a, a break-by-wire problem that was causing some problems in qualifying as well. Yeah, he was fantastic all again. I mean, he's just a mega driver, I think. Um, someone that uh, should should always have been in the uh, a top car. I don't, I don't see why uh, he couldn't go head-to-head with anyone, really. Um Hamilton, Verstappen, Alonso, I think he's he's of that calibre. And, uh, yeah, he, he threw the dice a couple of years ago and um, we, we've only we've only seen him sort of under the radar. But 
he's, he's done several brilliant performances when you um, get, look at the calibre of the machinery that he's had. And it, it's been too often for it to be just a sort of roll of the dice that he's had a good weekend. It's, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's his qualities and his um, understanding and his talent that's that's doing that's bringing the, those level of performances. And then when you you put him in a car that's um, that's working around the track, um, there he is. He pops straight back up again. And you know he's he's got a quality teammate there, Esteban Ocon, um, very very quick driver. Um, you know, really made an impact when he first came into F one. Pretty much instantly as quick as Sergio Perez and Force India, um, quicker than him by the the end of his second season. And yeah, okay, he's had a he's had a year out and probably got a bit rusty. Um, but we're well into the season now, and Esteban's getting within a couple of tenths, you know, which is good. But I I do think that's um, I I don't see that particularly as uh, there must be something wrong with Esteban's car. I think this is just uh, the. Daniel's level has been um, underrated, uh, and I think this is just where he's at. Yeah, I think I think Ricardo's brilliance needs to be sort of reappraised a little bit because in his farewell Red Bull season, he obviously had lots of different problems, didn't he? And Verstappen was starting to build a bit of momentum for himself, and I think it knocked Ricardo's stock, not necessarily amongst people sort of that, that know him particularly well or a bit more in the know, but I think just the external perception did drop a little bit and it then took a little bit of time for him to establish himself at Renault. So I think I think we're now starting to see why Ricardo's so special and I don't know about the two of you, but he he to me is the most painful driver to watch get stuck in the midfield in a situation like he did in the Spanish Grand Prix, for example, because like someone like Ocon, the McLaren drivers, Leclerc at Ferrari, you do feel like, well, they've got a long future ahead of them. They've got time on their side. And with Ricardo, I just feel like I'm watching a driver who is worthy of a world championship challenging car be sniping for the odd result. And while it's great to see him produce a performance like he did this weekend, it do, it does make a little part of me pang for a, for, for a time where he can actually do this on a more regular basis. I think it would be a crime if he got to the end of his career and he'd never been in a car that gave him a shot at the world championship to at least have just one crack at it and there's a risk he may end up not never in that position which would be a shame but yeah basically ever since the second half of last season he's been performing really really well uh particularly on on, on race day and he's just uh just superb and I hope, hope we'll see him back on the podium fairly shortly that'd be good for for him and Runo. uh Mark before we look at the rest of the uh points finishes should we cast our eyes down to 13th and 14th place Sebastian Vettel Charles Leclerc, uh, we knew this was going to be a bad weekend for Ferrari, but it almost managed to fall short of those low expectations. They both finished They both finished behind the customer Ferrari engine, Alfa Romeo, of Kimi Raikkonen. I mean, come on, explain. Yeah, well, I mean, when you look at the... I, I did a little piece in our Ferrari reaction piece on the race.com. And I, when you look at how far off pole they were, they were about normal, closer to pole than they were in Spain or Hungary or um, the first Silverstone. But because this is a track where your any downforce deficit doesn't get uh, punished 
very much. And any lower drag that's associated with a lower downforce um, is more highly rewarded than at conventional tracks. There's a much smaller gap between the front and the back. So it has the effect of moving everybody around Ferrari up <laughs> because Ferrari have got the worst of both worlds. They've got a high drag car with a low power engine, which is exactly what will hurt you around here. Um, so they fell spectacularly down the order. And there's no way that um, an Alfa Romeo or a Haas is as good a car as the Ferrari through on a conventional track um, where you, you, you know, you, your corner and speeds are pretty much determining your lap time. Um, but here, uh, a car that's a bit short of downforce also gets a nice little present of um, being down on the what's very costly around here, which is drag. And, yeah, I think the the Alpha, I think we, we were just talking about it before, um, Ed, where you were saying that had Kimi got all these best sectors together, Kimi would probably have out-qualified the Ferrari. And then so we saw that natural order sort of reasserting itself in the race. And, uh, yeah, the Alpha just looked a bit of package around here than the Ferrari. It's simple as that. But on, on a conventional track, no, it would be well over half a second off again. But it if you once we saw the actual true picture at the first race and where the Ferrari how the Ferrari compared both to last year's car and, and to its rivals this year, and you could have all mapped out all the circuits and done a software program, it, I think it would pretty much have predicted this sort of weekend for, for Ferrari at Spa and Monza. So it'll come as a, a bit of a shock to everyone. But I, th I think, actually, it was foreseeable. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you mentioned Raikkonen there. You know, even Giovinazzi could have nipped into Q2 and, and bumped Leclerc. And the Haas drivers were massively compromised because Friday was ruined for both of them, pretty much, by, uh, by engine problems. And, you know, that, that would have been uh, particularly embarrassing. Roman Grosjean was right behind the two Ferraris. Well, um, yeah, just a, a really difficult situation for them. But, you know, it just underlines what we've been saying all season, really, that it's absolutely critical they take a big step with the engine into next season you know a, a really big step because obviously then they're going to they're, they're going to be butting up against uh, development restrictions etc obviously you can't uh, just keep developing your engine there's now uh, windows for 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 upgrades and they're going to be in serious trouble if they don't <laughs> make a step forward uh, uh, next year and Monza's going to be even you know an, another bad one for them isn't it they, they're going to struggle there slightly more straightforward circuit should we say in terms of not having the same compromise as, as spa but you know they're not, they're not going to be nicking a podium there are they no i would imagine they're going to be in pretty much the same part of the grid and slightly better or slightly worse depending on whether they get the tires working or not and because that was a, a cascading problem um around here is the, the, the whatever downforce level they chose um, it, it then got more complicated by the fact that it, when you went too low, the tyres stopped working. So they were really, really in a, 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 a tiny, tiny little window in which it was making any sense at all. They're certainly going to enjoy having Monza and then going to Mugello for their uh, celebration, 1,000th Grand Prix, their uh they're marking it, uh, Magella. Although you can uh, you can dispute the exact uh, number that it should be. So yeah, it's uh, just a horrible season for Ferrari and just fractious and difficult. And it's uh, yeah, clearly very uh, very tough for them there. Uh, should we go back to the business end of the uh, at least closer to the business end of the grid, uh, Scott uh, McLaren? 
Um, as you mentioned earlier, I think they're they're pretty consistent in that group. Um, obviously, Carlos Sainz couldn't make the race start. He had a power unit problem that caused some kind of exhaust failure and a fire. Uh, Lando Norris went from 10th on the grid and finished 7th, and he actually felt he would have passed Albon, who we haven't really spoken about much in the other Red Bull, uh, for 6th place had, had he been given one more lap. And the McLaren is that that all-rounder in in that midfield group, isn't it? Which actually I think is quite positive for them that they've got a kind of good average, should we should we say, car, and they can they can just sort of keep picking up these points. And considering they only had half the half the number of points opportunities they should have done in this race, I think it's it's a good weekend for them to have uh, gained a bit of ground on Ferrari and and Racing Point. Yeah, I think they 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 made the best of a not bad situation, but. They they got the maximum out of the out of the day, which is all you can ask for. They didn't expect to be as competitive as as some of their immediate rivals, just because I don't think they had uh, the the extent of what Renault had in terms of a low drag setup here. So I think McLaren did quite a good job. Lando drove quite well, um, especially as he fell back initially, and we're sort of looking like he might even struggle to get inside the top ten. But you know, as others move towards the two stop strategy. Um, as Ferrari's uh, or Leclerc's challenge faded after a great one lap, um, a great first lap rather, then, then so yeah, Norris and McLaren just did what they quite like doing, go about their business, and um, they, yeah, they obviously had the big standout results, didn't they, in the first two rounds of the season, but one of the things that I think has been quite important this year that's been overlooked is that, you know, Carlos Sainz is probably the unluckiest driver in Formula One at the moment. He has had a season that does not look on paper as good as it has actually been. He doesn't have the points to to show for the season he's actually put together. And that carried on again today with the with the non-start. And if that happened, if you had all of these like stealthily put together sixth and seventh places that have maybe been lost then the points would be even more impressive. So this isn't a team that when we say is consistent, is just constantly sniping for eighth or ninth. Is it whether they've got the third fastest car, fourth fastest car, fifth fastest car, or sixth fastest car. They just always seem to put something together to be in top seven, top eight contention. And I think that's just the mark of, of a very good race team with a pretty good car. It's not special. Um, and maybe it lacks the ultimate peak performance to have the flashes like we've seen from Renault today. But it's damn reliable, and I still think McLaren's got a really good chance of that. They would be, I think they're still my pick for third in the constructors' championship, just because I think a few of the other teams are a bit too flaky. Well, they've got the position at the moment, which is uh, uh, very encouraging for them. And yeah, like you say, just that the performance is usually there to a to a decent level. They don't have these fluctuations, and yeah, two good drivers. Yeah, Science has has lost, you know, thirty plus points this year. Think back to that uh, that late tire failure at Silverstone, for example. That cost him uh, uh, a, a big result. Um, how about Albon Scott? Obviously, you've been keeping a, a close eye on him. You, have, you ran an interview with him on on the race website uh, in the build up to to the race weekend. He finished sixth, qualified, not quite as close to Verstappen as he looked like he was going to. Didn't quite have the perfect last Q three run. At one point in the race, they were hoping that he could kind of manage the tyre a little bit on the mediums and then maybe attack Ricardo later on. Obviously, that came nowhere near happening and he got passed by Ocon right at the end. So, it's another one of those mixed bag weekends for Albon, isn't it? Yeah, he still hasn't been able to put together a, a full weekend. Um, slightly similar to Spain, just without the massive consequences. He he, he lost out at the start. Um, and then 
uh, I think he paid the price in the it paid the price with losing track position, especially to to the Renaults, which are fast in a straight line. Couldn't force his way through, um, and then he spent a bit of time stuck behind the long running uh, AlphaTauri of uh, Pierre Gasly, whose seat he took one year ago at Spa, um, and just sort of laboured really until the final sort of third of the Grand Prix, final quarter of the Grand Prix, maybe during which Red Bull, I think both cars were into management mode with the tyres and Albon's pace matched that of Verstappen. But what's the point of being as quick as Max for nine or ten laps of damage limitation at the end of the Grand Prix when you've already put yourself 20 seconds, half a minute behind and vulnerable? Because ultimately, both Red Bulls had the same problem uh, today. The difference was Max was so much better that he put his car in a bit of track position where he wasn't vulnerable to... To, to the cars behind, whereas Albon was in the thick of it and therefore was on the defensive, which presumably made his situation even even harder. Uh, Mark, where, where do you stand on Albon at the moment? We had a, a good chat on last week's podcast as well about uh, Albon uh, and his, his position. What what would you be doing with him if, you, if you're a Red Bull and what do you think is just the missing element for him? Um, I think doing what they're doing, which is um, reiterating that they have every faith in him. And I, I don't think on this occasion this is like the um the football manager the football club talking about the football manager and a week later he's sacked i do think that they really really want this to work um and i do think that to have a good reliable backup to verstappen is what they want they're not looking for someone who can beat verstappen who can outdrive verstappen it's fine they 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 know they've got Arguably the fastest, certainly equal fastest driver in the world. So they're not they're not looking for someone that can outperform outperform that level. They're looking for someone who can adequately back him up. And Albon's actually not that far away from doing that, but he he does have a breakthrough still to be to be made. And this weekend was I thought much much better than Barcelona. Um, I thought his Barcelona uh, weekend was was terrible. It, it, yeah, it it snowballed a bit. It wasn't, you know, as we talked about at the time, the, that Barcelona weekend wasn't entirely his fault. But it, I, I I thought it was overall it was a, it was a poor showing. But here this weekend, I thought it was okay. Um, he he was uh, closer through. He, he did a long he did a long run on uh, Friday afternoon. It was very good indeed, and if he can just get like another row up on the grid, uh, he can put that sort of pace and rhythm um, in, into the the race. He, he'd, he'd be he'd be looking in pretty good shape. Um, as it was, yeah, the uh, the the tyres. He, he got ahead of Ocon at the first pit stop because they turned him around quicker, um, but then. His tyres faded because he was trying to attack the Renault uh, of Ricardo for a big chunk of the race, and he didn't have the straight line speed to be able to do it. So effectively, he was attacking it and destroying his tyres for no upside. He didn't. He didn't ever get the place because the Renault was just too fast at the end of the straight at the only passing place. So um, yeah, that just meant his tyres were destroyed, and eventually, yeah, late in the race, um, Ocon managed to repass them. So yeah, not great, but. Um, I think if you put the pieces together, they, they, they are there. It's not that they're missing. It's just they're not being put together. Yeah, it's just that feeling that it just needs this one weekend where it kind of clicks and he gets to that sort of 
good quality support level, shall we? Uh, shall we say to Verstappen? But you know, the, the raw material is is definitely uh, there. Now let's uh, Mark have a look behind Norris. Uh, Norris was seventh, so behind him we had Pierre Gasly in eighth, Lance Stroll ninth, and Sergio Perez tenth. Gasly and Perez are interesting because they didn't stop under the safety car, which was kind of the, the default strategy. Made sense for Gasly because he'd started on hard. He'd had a really good first stint as well. Um, but it did seem extremely odd for Perez, seeing as he was on softs and he was into the pits not that long after the the restart. In the end, it didn't make a great deal of difference, I think, to Perez's result because he was kind of in force India, India race pace territory uh, just behind Stroll. But what did you make of, of the strategic approach of, of those two? Because they, they did produce a little bit of variety and some overtaking. Yeah, I could understand it um, with Gasly. The, the safety car came at exactly the wrong time for him because he started on the hard. So to be stopping 11 laps into the race just didn't make sense. So, yeah, I could see what they were trying to do. They were trying to do to go long and establish a bit of um, field spread and and then come in and get on the quicker tyres and have a big too big tyre offset for the, the second stint when he would be quick. And it, it sort of worked. Um, it wasn't the ideal timing for the, for the safety car, but it... Given given that they got that bad break, I, th- I thought it it, it, was, it it did well, and I thought Gasly was driving superbly. He was um, he was setting some great times on the, on the hard tire and actually racing people um, that were on the medium tire and doing doing quick times. And even after the restart, when everybody got to change on mainly onto the um, the medium or the hards, he was uh, he, he was still quick and despite being on all tires. So I thought he was doing a great job. He did some fantastic. Uh, uh, moves uh, the, the one on Sergio Perez into a rouge was uh, well it's terrifying actually but it was incredibly brave and yeah I think he's doing a great job and I think the strategy called yeah it was it, it made sense the one for Perez no I, I really couldn't get that other than if he just stayed where he was and did the same as everybody else he wasn't going to get anywhere because they weren't they, they weren't particularly quick here and they weren't quick at the end of the straight so they weren't going to progress. So maybe they were just thinking, let's throw the dice and see what we can do. But it didn't really work. It was, yeah, he was, he made a bit of a recovery, but it was only back to about where he would have been anyway. Yeah, I think that was about uh, racing point territory. Obviously, the, the big changing car concept means that that traditional spa strength for that team wasn't, uh, wasn't really there. I think Myriad little things in qualifying held them back a bit and then they were just well, where they were. But yeah, Gasly performing really well. If, if you look at the moment, he's going past Perez when Perez squeezes him on the run to Rouge up against the, uh, well, the old pit wall, because that's obviously the... Uh, the support the, race the, pit wall. Exactly, yeah, the other pits. It's it's really, really tight there. So you can understand why, why Gasly was uh, was a little bit irritated by it. But he said as soon as he started to be squeezed, he thought, well, I'm not going to back off in this. So uh, yeah, he, he made the move. And, and Kvyat, you know, he, he, he didn't have a... Again, it's frustrating. He outqualified Gasly for the first time, but Gasly would have beaten him, but got a little bit too aggressive on the throttle out of the the last chicane on his uh, on his lap in in Q two, and then yeah, Kvyat just seems to Kvyat seemed to just struggle a little bit with the tyres in the race, which was a little bit odd. He was on the normal strategy, ended up ended up eleventh, but it wasn't a uh, uh, so he wasn't kind of right right up against the uh, in the queue of cars um, in front, and obviously he was passed by Perez. And Gasly had the tire advantage. So yeah, a tricky race for uh, for for Kvyat. 
let's talk about the crash, shall we, that did define the race strategy, Scott. Um, Antonio Giovinazzi lost the rear end at the exit of the Fania right-left. Odd place to go off. That was on the 10th lap. Uh, it's never uh, good to see a loose, loose wheel getting collected by another car, which is what happened to Russell after, obviously, Giovinazzi tried to correct, but just sort of fired the car uh, the other way into into the barrier. But that, that loose wheel, it could have been a, a worse situation, couldn't it, for uh, for those two? Yeah, we were talking when it happened about how it's one of those that, that look worse than the aftermath makes it look worse because you think when you see the initial shot, it looks like it's a case of a car being ploughed into and fortunately that wasn't the case. But as soon as I saw the replay um, from Russell's onboard, because it was just so confusing what happened until you actually saw Russell's onboard and you saw that the wheel that had been become detached from the Alpha and ripped off, bounced across and hit Russell's front right wheel, broke it and sent him into the barriers. Like any time you just see a, a wheel like that, an errant wheel like that, it's just scary because you don't know where it's going to go. On this occasion, it broke the wheel and then didn't go near the driver. The halo exists to hopefully protect George if it did. But even then, you don't know where the wheel's gone after that. I don't know where uh, Marshalls might be situated. It's obviously some unusual part of the, the circuit. I don't know if there are any particularly on that side of the barrier or anything like that, but, but you just don't know. So it's it's just frightening. Um, and it's a reminder of why devices like the Halo are, are important because it wasn't called on on this occasion. But it didn't really need a lot changing about those circumstances for the Halo to have been called into action, did it? If Russell had been a tenth or two tenths closer to, 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 to the Alphas at any point on that lap, if uh, Giovinazzi had gone into the wall couple of miles an hour slower like you just, the, if Russell would change the direction of his steering wheel if he opted for a different route like there's loads of things that could have impacted how uh, how that incident un- unfolded so fortunately looked a lot worse than it was uh and yeah just um I think as most people said afterwards the main thing was that both of them walked away and were um, were okay from it because it was quite a frightening impact yeah it's certainly a, a much uh better accident should we say than it initially looked from that initial shot because I, I for some reason was on board with Giovinazzi at, at the time that happened but you get the on board slightly after so I was sort of watching it and the, the, effectively this is a replay because I knew there was some kind of accident but as he as he was bouncing back off the wall I was th- I was sort of thinking oh there's going to be an impact there and I was quite surprised there wasn't fortunately because uh, he, he didn't get uh, collected so that that at least was uh, was positive but yeah Giovinazzi you know, that, that's a mistake he didn't need as well because there's, there's question marks over his F1 future. That's the second Belgian Grand Prix in a row he's uh, he's crashed out of. He was trying to hang on to, to Vettel. So, uh, yeah, un- unfortunate for him as well. And, and Russell, again, had done really well in qualifying fifth time in, in Q2. It's a little bit frustrating, I think, for Williams because he keeps getting into Q2, but they've run out of their top engine mode by the time they get there. So he's never able to kind of crack on and he might have been able to pick off a Ferrari or or two had he had that available to him but then lost uh, lost a few places on the first lap he actually got briefly ahead of uh, Vettel and then went off on the first lap and slipped behind the Alfa Romeos and uh, and Magnussen and Haas yeah Grosjean finished 15th Magnussen 17th Magnussen was having all sorts of tyre troubles that they didn't entirely understand he ended up two stopping finished behind Latifi also two stopped but Latifi was complaining about this kind of asymmetric handling imbalance, he called it, where it was oversteering in one direction and understeering uh, in the other direction. Uh, Williams struggling a little bit at times, and, and Russell was talking about the fact that they they had uh, 
the car being very tricky early in races and, and being at times in races this year undrivable really early on. So uh, something for Williams to work on uh, there. I think we've uh, I think we've covered all the the drivers uh, pretty much there. I guess we should just pick up as well on Kimi Raikkonen who finished twelfth. Pretty good considering he was last into the source after the uh, anti stall kicked in at the start. He didn't quite get the uh, uh, the launch procedure right, but uh, you know a, a solid class C as we call it victory uh, there with uh, with the Ferraris guesting in that little battle at the back as well, which was uh, which was good fun. Uh, we've got to have a little bit of a look off track as well, Mark. And as ever, the Racing Point Break Duck Saga produces an episode pretty much every week, doesn't it? And on Tuesday in the build up to the race, Renault withdrew that appeal against the stewards' verdict, but the Ferrari appeal against that is is still uh, live. It's about more than brake duct design, though, isn't it? This is a, a wider political uh, picture. Yeah, um, it's about not only the, the whole concept of what a what is a, a, a customer car and what, what isn't, it's, um, and what it's constructed and what isn't, it's also about a little bit of um, horse trading um, for Ferrari and what and what it wants for next year because um, the the constructor issue has probably been um, resolved now with the the FIA saying it's um, it's, it's going to put out a, a much more strict definition. So that that has more or less been answered, and that's probably why Renault felt relaxed about dropping their appeal. But Ferrari is very unhappy about the fact that, as things stand, if you are one of the teams such as uh, Racing Point or AlphaTauri that is that can upgrade from a uh, 2019 parts to 2020 parts, so they're specifically talking about rear suspension in the case of the Racing Point, that doesn't count as one of your um, three development tokens, um, and so. Ferrari is very nervous of that because the racing point is already pretty quick and they're thinking if it gets the the rear suspension of the Mercedes W11, which is believed to be one of the key reasons why the W11 is so much quicker, then that's that's another another car that you know that is gonna be very, very difficult for them to beat. So they they feel it unfair that that doesn't count even as a development token. So because the Concord Agreement is now live and the governance is slightly different, it is possible now, if there's enough agreement between the teams, to to reverse that. Um, and then that's what they're campaigning for. I think they would probably drop the, 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 the brake duct uh, appeal if they could get what they wanted on the, the talking issue. Yeah, as always, it's uh, it's about the the horse trading, should we say, in in the background. But yeah, as it stands, that that appeal is still uh, is still very much there. It's it's been a really fractious one, hasn't it, Scott? This this whole thing because there's, there's so many uh, kind of tangents to to the, what is effectively a case about the design of the rear brake ducts and the front brake ducts of uh, of one specific car. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. It's so uh, so far reaching. What what do you think is going to happen? It seems likely that there's going to be a, an, a, an accord reached before the the ICA hears this appeal. Surely, isn't there? Yeah, I don't think it's going to go that far. Um, I think you can see they've been picking them off one by one, depending, I guess, on what the the low hanging fruit is. You know, the likes of Williams and McLaren were pretty easy to to to, to knock back because 
they ostensibly were going after the clarification that the FIA had already promised. Um, so they they fell they fell off pretty quickly. Um, I was surprised that Renault backed off so so fast, but Marx explained why. So now it's just Ferrari versus Racing Point are the ones left standing. So I get why Ferrari almost have to do the. It's not posturing as such, but they just have to do everything by the book now, don't they? So if they're if they're going after them because their argument is, oh, it's too lenient a punishment, then they have to keep they have to challenge the the reprimand. So I understand that it's all just brinkmanship political games a bit of chicken involved <laughs> who's going to blink first so it's just a good old-fashioned off-track f1 rumbling isn't it and at some point every everyone will get a bit of what they want and put up with a bit of what they don't want and then it'll all be uh, brushed aside and then we can all get ready for whatever the next big controversy is that gets not necessarily blown out of proportion because i think this is a very serious issue but as you say this is all the this issue is all about the specific legal or illegal development of brake ducts, but it's simultaneously about nothing to do with the brake ducts and about much bigger issues involving involving everybody. So yeah, very complex and a very, very Formula One argument. Yeah, I imagine there'll be a few more episodes before uh, it's finally case closed, but uh, yeah, hopefully it'll uh, it'll calm down eventually and we can stop talking about, uh, about brake ducts. Well, to finish off, let's just circle back round to the fronts. Another moment of sympathy for uh, poor old Valtteri Bottas. That's the sixth race in a row he's uh, he's lost ground to Hamilton in the in the championship. I think that's fifty points he's uh, he, he's lost to Hamilton in the past uh, past six races. What's it? Forty seven points now. So it's almost it's almost two race wins worth. We were asking whether Bottas at the start of the season could sort of hang on in there and, and make a fight of the championship, but now it's looking like he's on target to, for Hamilton to to kind of eliminate Bottas from the championship with at least two races uh, to go this season. Hard work, isn't it, Mark, for a driver like Bottas? He's doing a good job, but just just can't do what Hamilton does on a consistent basis. And no matter how good he gets, and he was saying that this is his strongest year in terms of race performances, there's always this all-time great just most of the time doing better. Yeah, that's just what, it like. it's, just what it's like if you're alongside one of the greats, isn't it? And you do feel sorry for him um, because, you know, if he was in a, uh, you know, a, a Renault, say, or something like that, um, um, it, it, it would be, you know, not, not so, you know, he, he would he would look, he'd look better than, he'd be perceived probably better than he's, he's being perceived, but he doesn't see it like that. This is where he wants to be and he's just got to keep trying and as he said after the race he said i'm trying everything and he said there's no there's still 10 races to go and i can't just give up i you know i'd, I'd rather rather than accept that lewis was going to win this championship i'd rather just stay at home so i'm not going to do that so that's all he can do that's a, he is he is a competitor and he is like very very hard on himself and he is always looking to improve and he is capable of some great performances but it's just it's, he's not Lewis Hamilton and that, that's that's just how it is yeah and he was a little bit disappointed that he couldn't uh, attack Hamilton at, at the start because things didn't quite work but Scott there was obviously this, this message that people were interested in where um, Bottas was told that you don't use the the kind of overtake mode against each other I think Toto will talked about that after the race didn't he did he, did he clarify that when you uh, heard from him yeah, he basically said that um, they would only have a limited, they only have a limited number of uses of it, basically, and 
because of the proximity of Verstappen and qualifying and the speed that the Renaults were showing, they didn't want to basically burn up what they'd what they'd allocated basically as allowed number of uses on a needless fight between the two of them at the front because ultimately Mercedes doesn't care whether Lewis wins or Valtteri wins. What they care about is that one of the Mercedes comes home first and ideally the other Mercedes comes home in second. So they don't care about the order. So when you've got the threat from behind, that was their focus. And basically what Toto said is there appears to have been a miscommunication of some kind. So either Valtteri wasn't given that information or Valtteri wasn't given that, like, given the information as clearly as he needed to be given it or he misunderstood or something. But it was something that was agreed. It was just something that Valtteri, <laughs> however it was relayed to Valtteri, he wasn't quite into, he wasn't quite convinced what it meant. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't think it would have made any difference. I think Bossas could have thrown everything. He could have possibly laid his hands on at Hamilton and uh, still wouldn't have been able to beat him. Uh, just before we finish... Quickly look ahead to Monza Mark. We've got this engine mode rule change following a technical directive being issued. Some dispute about whether it'll make much difference to the the competitive order and Mercedes saying, well, it's aimed at us, but we we think we'll still be okay. Are you expecting to see anything particularly different from that? It's certainly going to be interesting because it, it it's going to require all the engine manufacturers to make some fairly significant changes to the way that the way they run the engines, the way they choose the maps and the settings, etc. So it's a fair bit of work to adapt to, which is why it was put back a, a race in the first place. Yeah, uh, globally, I don't think if, if you look at it in hindsight, when we get to the end of the season, you look back, you see, okay, pre Monza and post Monza, what was the picture, and did it alter the the, the the competitive picture, Mercedes versus the rest? No, I don't think it's going to make any difference. I think the um, Mercedes advantage is such that even if you trim a little bit of qualifying time from it, uh, qualifying power from it, which is what it will do, um, they're, they're still going to be quick enough to be sitting on pole and probably locking out front rows. Um, and that that extra engine life just gets redeployed um, in, in the race. So no, it, the, I don't see there's a net gain really um, for the for the competition. But having said that, I think we might see something slightly different in Monza if the Mercedes is not working very well in this super low downforce trim, um, it could just be that it coincides with the, um, the the mapping change to give the appearance of, ah, look, there's the difference. Because But we've already seen hints that in this super, super low downforce the, that they didn't run here. They tried, but they didn't run it. Um, but they probably will have to run it at Monza because of the nature of the circuit. Um, it, it it might just not be very good that aero package, and if that aero package isn't very good, there's a chance it might just get pipped to pole, or you know Max might get among them and split them even. Um, in which case, everybody will say, "There you go, you see, it was it was the engine boats." But I think we're going to be look look over a you know more than just once uh, one race as a sample. Um, so, but let's see. Yeah, well, that's uh, just one of the many reasons to follow the Italian Grand Prix next weekend. We, of course, will be there. Mark is heading on 
uh, towards Monza fairly shortly. Do head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen. Loads to read there. Mark's race analysis. Uh, my driver ratings will be up and Scott Mitchell's delving into all sorts of things, Ferrari related and other to talk about. Check out our YouTube channel. Just search for the race. Loads of videos on there and subscribe to some of our other podcasts. Bring back V10s, the Gary Anderson F1 show and of course the Race F1 podcast if you're not already subscribed. Uh, we'll be back next week with everything you need to know from Monza. Monza. <laughs>